My family rented a VCR so we could watch this film of the story that we had enjoyed so much, and then we saw this. We all know the truth. More connects us than separates us. But in times of crisis, the wise build bridges, while the foolish build barriers. You raise walls, I destroy them. Let's see who prevails. Just because something works doesn't mean that it cannot be improved. I say we take off and nuke the entire site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. Allow my sword to join you in the fight against evil. The world needs us to chase dreams. We have to dedicate ourselves each and every single day to this fight because I can't do it alone. You, the people, have the power. The power to create machines. The power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful. To make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us all unite! Welcome to Skiffy and Fanty Show Torture Cinema. He who walks behind the rose knew he should have taken that left turn at Albuquerque. <laughs> I'm Sean. I'm David. I'm Alex. And we're here for a very special Halloween edition of our Torture Cinema with a film called Children of the Corn, which is, is not an advertisement for high fructose corn syrup, just in case you were confused. I, I, I had a, a friend that used to confuse this one with Village of the Damned, and they would call it the Village of the Children of the <laughs> Damned Corn. Honestly, they're not that different. If we're talking about uh, the, the the bad remake of Village of the Damned, yeah, the one with uh, with Christopher Reeve. Yes, yeah, may may his soul rest in peace. Creepy children, yeah, super creepy children. Well, uh, we're here to talk about a film that our Patreon subscribers decided to uh, vote for us in our '80s themed Halloween because I am ridiculous and that's what I like. And the films that were on the list were selected by David. And this is the one that everybody else chose. And David is very disappointed in all of you, you should know. Why didn't you pick Death Ship? You should have taken Death Ship. Oh my gosh. Oh Yeah, you... <laughs> yeah come on, people. How do you skip Death Ship? George Kennedy and Richard Crenna. Like, just the name of that. It just, it just sounds cool, right? It, ha- it has such an awesome poster that Ghost Ship plagiarized it. See? Yeah, oh god, oh no, that's, see, and that's what I was envisioning was the ghost ship poster, so, really, I was envisioning envisioning the death ship poster. Holy shit, I haven't had that much to drink yet, and I'm already having problems talking. (laughs) It's gonna be a good podcast, guys. It's okay. Uh, Speaking of drinks, we need to tell everybody what we happen to be drinking, and so we will jump to you, Alex. Alex, what are you drinking today? So... I am drinking some Powers whiskey out of my adorable little whiskey glass that I got at the Irish Whiskey Museum in Dublin. And then once I'm done with my whiskey, I am going to chase it with a chocolate peanut butter porter from Horny Goat Brewing Company. Oh, we are going to be on theme. (laughs) Yeah, well, and and the can is perfect because the can is like black and orange. So it's, yeah. Mmm, chocolate peanut butter. Oh, so good. But but I, I will say the goat does not look like Black Phillip, so it's not perfect. I I will say that I'm I'm amused at the the quantities of alcohols involved, given that it is a Sunday. You know, man, I had Mile High Con this weekend, so I was like pretending to be personable and and <laughs> fun all weekend. So I gotta have some drinks. Fair enough. I'm just gonna like look at my little can of of chocolate peanut butter porter and whisper. Wouldst thou drink deliciously? Yes. Yes, I will. 
And now we switch over to you, David. What about you? I'm having some Ghost Pines Merlot, and the label is certainly spooky enough, though I'll be damned if those are pines on the label. <laughs> are they corn? No, 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 they're just deciduous trees. I don't even know what that means. <sighs> like, oh my god, people, hire a biologist. They don't have anything else they're doing. <laughs> but it's a nice Merlot. Uh, but that's nice to hear. Well, as for myself, I also am drinking something that involves chocolate and peanut butter. I'm drinking Bemidji Brewing's Chocolate Peanut Butter Stout, which they just brought back on Friday. And so I went in and I asked them, uh, how, how much would it cost to buy an entire keg of this? And they said, how, uh, you're probably going to need a lot of money. I was like, well, I'm a teacher, so can you give me a discount? And they said no. And so I bought a growler instead. Good call. Uh, I am disappointed in the quantity, but... Uh, this is one of my favorite beers ever, and so the second they said it was available, I was like, oh, we're all going drinking on Friday. And in fact, we did, and now I have my chocolate peanut butter stout from Bemidji Brewing. It's it's beautiful. Nice. I want you to, like, if you can buy some cans of that, buy some for me and then give them to me the next time I see you. I don't know if they're going to can it. This is, I think, their second year making it, or really soon. Oh, so it's like limited batch. Yeah, my my local brewery does stuff like that, too. Yeah, so last year they didn't make much. This year they made apparently a lot more because it was very popular. So my hope is that it'll become like a, a popular seasonal, but I don't know. Uh, if they do can it, though, I will I will definitely figure out some way to get you some. Because it is, Heck yeah. it is one of my favorite beers. I've given this a 5 out of 5 on my untapped app, which I don't give to many beers. So just putting that out there. Nice. Uh, so yeah, I will, be, I will be drinking that. So now that everybody knows what we're drinking, uh, we will uh, take a 15-minute break to down at least three gallons of what we're drinking just so we can make the rest of this entertaining. So we'll be right back. <laughs> All right, we're back. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that was that was a good fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. We, we probably sound really different right now, but you know that's just <clears> the way. <throat> that's what happens when you drink a lot of alcohol really quickly, right, David? You know exactly what I'm talking about. Absolutely. But you could barely even understand what David just said there. Right? He's just slurring his words. Right. Yeah. I'm even slurring when I breathe. <laughs> it is uh, time for a synopsis of Children of the Corn. This is again the 1984 version. So. David, what is this movie about? Well, I'm going to ask Alex that. That's right. See, oh, I have yeah. been drinking. Because it is Alex's, <laughs> Alex's turn to tell us what this movie is about. <laughs> I mean, I was just sitting there going, I thought we talked about this, but I'll roll with this. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Alex, please tell us what this movie is about. So this movie is definitely about the world's most boring mari uh, married couple, one of whom is Sarah Connor, except they call her something else, whatever. It's Linda Hamilton. And she, like watching this movie, you suddenly understand how Sarah Connor became what she is because after getting crucified in the corn by a bunch of fucking kids, I, I, I think she just said, I've had enough of this shit. And the next one, person that comes with for me is going to take it in the neck. And it just happened to be a fucking robot assassin from the future. And that's how Terminator happened. I agree. Your headcanon, totally accurate. I called this a prequel to uh, Terminator because it is. So the movie starts out, before we get to the extremely boring married couple, with a young child narrating it, which I'm sure we will talk more about that later, and telling you very obvious things about what's going on, including letting us know that Isaac is creepy. And let me, let me tell you people, the, if you watch three seconds of the film, you will be like, oh, he creepy. 
So anyway, the children in this this little town in Nebraska where the corn has been dying decide to just, like, murder all the adults for reasons. And then three years later, the child narrator is still unfortunately narrating. And then the corn is nice and lush and the most boring married couple in the world, who is Sarah Connor and a terrible doctor, show up in town, uh, run over a kid and, like, put his corpse in the trunk of a car, as you do. And then um, go into town and basically spend the rest of the the movie getting their asses whooped by a bunch of children. And then it turns out that Isaac, the creepy, creepy kid, is the creepy kid because he's, like, worshipping a demon who is, like, in the corn. His name is He Who Walks Behind the Rose. And when kids turn, like, 19, they get sacrificed and everybody drinks their blood and it's supposed to be really spooky but isn't. And then they crucify Sarah Sarah Connor in the corn. And then there's, like, some amazing moments where they realize oh maybe the way to get rid of the thing in the corn is by like setting fire to the corn like no shit and there there's beautiful subtitles that involve the corn howling and moaning and then uh let's see the the child narrator and his little sister who are both still annoying hook up with the world's most boring married couple and reconstitute the nuclear family and then they all go off to seattle the end it's real dumb I guess it would have been a shame to ruin two families, as we could say, about, uh, <laughs> just as well. They, we got them together. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, it, we go straight from I'm being murdered by an anthropomorphic cornfield to, hey, kids, do you want to stay with us for a couple of days? Oh, how about a couple of weeks? The months. No, no. <laughs> Dr. Man says no. And then he says, oh, okay. And I'm like, this is. Like, this is a creepy moment because these kids, like, one of them at least for sure witnessed his dad be murdered in front of him. And he's just, like, nonchalant. Like, to me, given what they have experienced, I just would assume something's wrong with these kids and that maybe we should just leave them. Well, they haven't aged in three years. Also that. I was going to say, David hit the nail on the head right there because I will notice that despite the fact that three years are supposed to have passed and three years is a really long time in kid years, that kid sounds exactly the fucking same. And that ain't right. That's why I didn't understand that uh, there had been three years because I must have missed that because there was a point when we were watching this on the, the Discord. It's like a little subtitle on the screen and they didn't make a big deal out of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, we missed it because we just... Nothing visually made sense for time. It just seemed like this all happened that morning. <laughs> yeah, it said uh, there was a, a subtitle that said three years ago as the prologue began. That's it. Yeah. Well, okay. So yeah, that's the synopsis, guys. It's I mean, like it's not exciting. Yeah, I would, I would, uh, I would agree that this is one of the more boring films we have watched. And uh, well, this can come up later, but I um, I have a very sad story to tell about how great the short story was for uh, me and my family, and how cruelly we were disappointed by the film. But uh, we can get to that in due course. Well, and, and I will note that I know that it is not universally boring because I was whining about it on Twitter, and Matt Wallace was like, "Oh, I think that movie's really creepy," and I was like, "Really." And then he admitted that he watched it as a kid, so the deep psychological scars that it left on him have given him a different viewing experience than I could have, because this is the first time I watched this movie, guys. I'm pretty sure I saw this when I was younger, but I don't remember it. 
I, I have seen more boring films recent in, in the not too distant past, which I mean, I, the, the so I don't know if that's just uh, indicating just how dull some of those films have been. Um, but um, anyway, at least it's only ninety minutes. Well, at least it's not hereditary. I feel like them's fighting. Oh like yeah, there's about to be. I'm I'm taking a step back. <laughs> I'll let you guys fight it out. David and I have yet to make the the David and Sean fight over hereditary podcast because david loves it and i hate it <laughs> well I, I still need to actually watch hereditary so maybe give me a chance to watch it first and then we can like and i'll, I'll keep my opinion a secret you'll be the moderator <laughs> then you won't know like you know it'll be like like a professional wrestling match <laughs> where there's a tag team but you won't know whose team i'm gonna tag in on until it's too late well all i can say is Sh- sean's gonna have to be careful about coming to winnipeg because my stepchildren are watching for him oh are they <laughs> Oh yes, yes, you just uh, like yes, the children they, of the uh, corn. <laughs> oh, they they will never forgive you for your dislike of uh, of hereditary. <laughs> wow, <laughs> you have, yes, it's a it's it's a blood feud that will last for centuries, and uh, I don't even have to be part of it. Just so you know. Wow. Well, I will let you know that uh, my friend Jeremy will will be on my side, and he will defend me, and so I will make sure to bring him with me. <laughs> I would say, as we learn in this movie, you do not fuck with children. True, that's very true. That's very well, true. Well, my stepchildren are in their mid to late twenties, so. Uh, but anyway. I mean, I tried, David. I tried. <laughs> as we know from this movie, that means that they're basically ineffective, <laughs> because for whatever reason, adults are actually pretty terrible, except at, I guess, running hoses to things. They're pretty good at that part, but children apparently are good at everything else, including murder. We do have, of course, I mean, there is a, you know, there's some, this is a tradition, right, in, in films of them. And I think the, you know, one of the most, uh, one of the best regarded films, its very title kind of signals why, um, who could kill a child, right? That adults are simply, um, are not going to be initially good, at least at, at killing, uh, you know, fighting back violently against the children that come for them. Except me. Well, okay. So, except for because- Sean. Sean because wins. I have been preparing, preparing for this my whole life because I have been expecting the zombie apocalypse. And as we know, kids get turned into zombies all the time in the zombie apocalypse. So I have been preparing. Yeah, take them out first. Oh, yeah. No, you can't trust kids. No, no, no. You just can't. Not. Especially because they definitely are going to get you killed. They're going to be like, oh, zombie. And then the zombies are all going to know you're hiding in, the, in that closet. And then you're screwed. Or fire up their stupid little space shuttle and the uh, monsters that uh, track you by sound will take them out. Yeah. Yeah, that that also would happen. That was the point at which. Was, oh, anyway, that's a different movie. Yeah, that's a we different can movie. Save that. Anyway, onwards. <laughs> so we need to go to likes and dislikes. So we're going to start with likes, and uh, we're going to start with our first like coming from Alex. So Alex, what is your first like about Children of the Corn? All right. Thank you for letting me go first, so that I won't have to murder either of you because I literally only had one like. Actually, no, I kind of I. I could have come up with a second like, but it would have been, you know, it made me sad. So my one and only like for this film is of of all the array of children, Isaac is actually really, really fucking creepy and really good. And I was like, who is this kid? And why is he just so creepy in everything he does? Because when you look at, at the, the kid... In the film, there is just something about him that doesn't look right. And when I looked it up, what I found out is um, the guy who plays him, John Franklin, was actually 23 years old at the time that he played Isaac, who is supposed to be like 10 when you first see him. 
And then, you know, like 12, 13 later. And you're just like, huh? And, you know, it's because um, John Franklin has a had a growth hormone deficiency growing up. So he's only like five feet tall and he has like a baby face. Like if you look at pictures of him today, he still looks really, really eerily young. And he was born in 1959. Yeah, he was born in 1959. So I, I was suddenly like, oh, that like it was some kind of, you know, they almost they did not hardly do anything else right in this movie as far as I'm concerned. But the casting director had a stroke of complete genius by looking at John Franklin and being like, you you are old enough that you will be able to deliver these lines and make them sound really good. Because I can't even imagine a 10 year old kid trying to say that shit and, you know, have that kind of power and and weird amount of gravitas. Yet look childlike enough that you're a believable child yet adult enough that it just looks like you're you're preaching at us from the uncanny valley and it was fucking amazing so yeah he's my like he was so good and apparently he also played cousin it in both adam's family movies and then he decided he wanted to like do more in his life than play cousin it and he became a teacher so that's really cool too and he's also gay so and he did come back to play isaac again yes so he's He's creepy gay icon, John Franklin. Super awesome. Only good actor other than Linda Hamilton. And it's not her fault that she was terrible in this film. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. And he is definitely creepy because the very first time that he comes on screen, it's just him looking through the window and then he nods at who we eventually learn is Malachi. You know, evil Ron Weasley. <laughs> yeah, he, he def- the evil Ron Weasley. Yeah. Oh, most annoying villain. I don't like him. Every time he talked, I was just like, put like put a tennis ball in his mouth and make him stop. Ugh. Though you can completely see why one of his cries was then um, uh, given to Cartman in an episode of South Park, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, oh, I was my told God. That by, by Jeff, one of our Patreon supporters. And I didn't realize it. And then he's like, oh, yeah. So it definitely is. Yeah. So there's a, that whole scene in the, the middle of the street where he's calling for... Um, Outlanders. Outlander! Outlander, we have your woman. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, so yeah, so John Franklin, I think, is is surprisingly pretty good here, even though the, the film, in my opinion, doesn't quite give the explanation that I needed to for his his authority to make sense, but I his performance I thought was pretty pretty good. Uh, and I actually thought he was a kid. <laughs> I didn't realize until after. I did too. Yeah, same here. Yeah, until I looked him up and I was like, holy shit, he was 23. He does come off as as rather childlike in this. He, he does a pretty good job of that, which I think is impressive given the number of times there have been, you know, we've seen like high school movies made with like people who are almost 30 and how infrequently it is we actually believe that they are like 17 or 18 years old. Um, this, I, like, I really did think he was like 12. So, good for you, John Franklin. Well, unless David has any thoughts on this, I say we jump to David's like. Okay, so uh, I'm going to apologize if my like is uh, at all infringing um, on someone's dislike. Uh, I'm assuming that Bert is going to come up at some point in uh, our our conversation. Oh my God, Bert! <laughs> um, so, but my like is uh, when at the in, at the climax when uh, Bert is uh, rushing off into the cornfields to try to burn everything, and he gets caught by the corn, and uh, our little kid narrator Job 
comes in and rescues him. And then Bert just yells at him to, what are you doing here? Go back to the barn. And, uh, Job, uh, uh, he takes off and Job just looks after him and says, excuse me. And at that moment, just, it's just that line, uh, along, uh, there's a, a, a not quite as good moment when, uh, uh, Linda Hamilton, uh, uh, tells him to stop patronizing her. Uh, but when Job says, excuse me, it's almost like the movie realized what a complete dick Bert was and, uh, was un- deliberately undermining the character. Perhaps, uh, a residual leftover of the, the short story where, uh, we are given, uh, you know, a, a couple who are just bickering on the, the, the ver- their marriage is on the verge of dissolution. So they're not terribly likable. And maybe that was a residual aspect or the someone knew that this character sucked. At any rate, it felt like at that moment, the movie admitted it. And I, I liked it for that moment. I realize it's just two words, but they, they mattered. Well, but it's interesting, you know, setting aside some of the, the confusion at the end, there is this like thematic the film, I think, wants to be there of sort of the way that adults view children, uh, because much of the film, like, Bert's running around going, like, ah, like, get away from me, children, and he, like, backhands a couple kids, which is funny. Uh, but for for the most part, right, like, it goes back to what you were saying earlier, where, like, our, where we can't, we don't, adults really have a struggle to want to, like, harm, physically harm children, but also at the same time, we, like, constantly undermine them, right? We, like, they're just kids, what do they know? But, like, he literally is saved by this kid twice, by the same kid. Yeah, yeah. And his response in the moment of, like, we're basically saving the world, sort of, is to, like, yell at him. And it's sort of like, the kid's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I have saved your dumb ass twice. You're a doctor, and I'm still smarter than you. Pretty good. I like that kid. Even if he is annoying most every other time. Yeah. But he's less annoying than Bert, so... Which, you know, I'm a nicer guy than Hitler, but... There is literally no one in this movie more annoying than Bert, except maybe Malachi. Yeah, it's a photo finish there, isn't it? Oh, fucking Malachi. I mean, maybe we could do, like, a reading of this in that, like, Bert and Malachi are sort of, like, you know, the same character in two different ways, and they're just the douche that ruins everything, whether you're a creepy corn serial killer cult, or, like, poor Linda Hamilton just trying to not be married to the world's douchiest douche. Yeah, except she wants to be married to him. That's the, that's the, uh, yeah, you keep wanting to say, no, you know, run. See, he's not into commitment. That's a good thing. Run, run as fast as you can. Um, but, um, I'm going to have to defend Bert later. I mean, you can do whatever you want, Sean. I'm sorry. Did you just say you're going to defend Bert? <laughs> I, I will a little bit later. I'm going to have to. Okie dokie. You don't have to. I'm just going to say. Oh, okay. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. But uh, Bert, Bert's not that bad. He's not great. But like, let's let's be honest. We have seen some men in the movies we watch for torture cinema that are infinitely the worst. And Bert, Bert's not even close. He's certainly the one of the. God, he's one of the most intolerable. I mean, he's an intolerable prick. But I will say, if you're going to put him in the context of like. Every horrible male character we've ever watched in torture cinema. Yeah, he is he is functionally less terrible than Pierce Brosnan's chest hair in the lawnmower man. <laughs> it is true. Yes, because Pierce Brosnan's chest hair, as we all know, is credited on the IMDB page. <laughs> look, it has its own page. If you don't believe me, you can just go look right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. Pierce 
I'm going to laugh if people look it up. I'm going to laugh even more if there is actually a page. He's cert- I don't know. He's certainly one of the most intolerable, uh, uh, horrible view protagonists. Um, I've had to suffer for, suffer. I mean, I just kept hoping with those moments that the film was actually suggesting that he was meant to be intolerable. Um, but I have the feeling that the mo- that instead got the feeling of a film trying to have it both ways. But, uh, but we can see how weak my like is since we've already gotten onto a dislike. <laughs> fair, fair point. Well, I guess that leads, it's going to have to be me then. Uh, that gives me, gives the like. Well, so I will say that there's not, there's not a whole lot here. Like I could, I could take the easy road out and be like, you know, corn is really well represented here. And I happen to like corn. Corn's pretty delicious. Comes in a lot of different varieties. You can do things to corn that make it even more delicious. You can cream corn. You can put butter on corn, right? You can you can put salt and pepper on it. You can put a little bit of chili, like all kinds of stuff that you can do to corn to make it delicious. Tons of things like corn tortillas and corn chips, like all that, right? Uh, but I'm going to... I should go for a thing that I was rather surprised by, which is that this film weirdly has a relationship that is, while not perfect, was a lot better than I was expecting, given where I thought it was going, uh, which is that uh, we've been talking about it, the relationship between uh, Vicky and Bert or Linda Hamilton and the, the, the other dude whose name I've forgotten off the top of my head, uh, because they're a married couple and it's they're moving because he's getting a job and there there is some hint of some strife in, that's in their relationship but despite that there's a lot of like really cute moments with them right there's the moment in their hotel room um there's even the moment when they're having an argument in the car about i assume they're moving because he's going to some sort of uh he's going to do his rotation at a hospital or- he's got his his internship. Whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. And they're having a bit of an argument because, of course, they're moving and she doesn't really want to move, but she's being supportive. And my immediate reaction to that was it was going to re- result in him just basically shooting her down and telling her she's totally wrong and was just going to be undermining her. But yet that scene ends with them sort of, you know, kind of having a little bit of a tender moment where they kind of realize like it's not ideal but we're sort of making this decision a little bit together and they have a little bit of like nervous laughter about it those things while they're not perfect there's a lot of i think problems in the relationship for what we i i've sort of come to expect from films of this period are not we're not as uh a negative as i anticipated like their relationship in a lot of ways is really cute bert is sometimes an insufferable asshole but he does get called out on it, uh, and there is some degree to which he tries not to be that all the time. That said, uh, I'm sure we'll come back to Bert, uh, but I just really liked the the cuteness of the romance and that it wasn't totally uh, a sort of one-sided relationship, that there was clearly some give and take, at least somewhat, in what was presented to us. He still ignores her when she keeps saying everything we're all saying, which is you've come into a town where there seems to be nobody around and then children try to steer your car. Yeah, you just leave. You fucking leave that town as quickly as possible. Go. Get. Get. But nope. Bert wants to stay because Bert thinks he knows everything. So, but yeah, that's my that's my like. I'm going to have to take issue with every aspect of that like. <laughs> I really am. Uh, cause, well, first they're not married. She, what? uh, she, no, she wants to be married. He doesn't want to commit. 
that's a big part of the fight. And, uh, she's, uh, like trying to have a moment with, uh, uh with him. Uh, and he's just like, no, we gotta go. I uh, gotta get to my internship. And so she's sad about that when they're in the car. Uh, that, yeah, I mean, she has, like, they're going there, you know, for him, but, uh, she's going out, out there. This is, this is entirely his deal. And she doesn't know what her long-term future is. And the, and the way that their tiff ends is basically with him going, Oh, come on. Um, you know, basically don't, you know, basically telling her not to be grumpy and, uh, the cue, the nervous laughter. Yeah. Well, uh, she also says, but you don't have to be a dick about it. March thinks she's his asshole or jerk. And then they laugh. Yeah. And then it's just, it's left in abeyance. And then he, uh, when, when she finally tells him to don't patronize uh, me, I mean, he's been doing that all the way along. He, he tells her, you go back to the car and lock the door. Why? I'm not going to tell you. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he does, he treats her like a child. Um, pretty much all the way through the film, even though he's the one who's making the dumbest decisions. Now, granted, they, they, uh, they try to leave town and they are unable to do so because of supernatural road shenanigans. But, uh, the, otherwise it's, you know, here, you stay here and by yourself with this little girl in the house of the creepy town. And yeah, and, and I'll go off and make things worse. Um, but yeah, he just, he belittles, uh, her judgment every step of the way. And, uh, yeah, just like every moment in that car made me hate him more and more and more. Yeah. I mean, I agree with, david like 100 percent, and i mean i think i i will say in this way bert's characterization was absolutely spot on in that he is like the archetypical douchey proto-doctor like i mean he's going to an internship he's not even like like fully you know a resident or anything like that but the man thinks he knows every fucking thing in the world and it's so grating <laughs> and I, honestly the the moment that really just made me like hate Bert the most was when they run over the kid in the road and Bert goes in and, and and first off the kid they they fucking hit a kid with the car but I mean I I just thought it was a little douchey for Bert to be like oh check Linda Hamilton's neck just in case she's got a slight amount of whiplash, and then I'm gonna go see the person I ran over with my goddamn car. Which I, that was just... Ugh. He was pretty calm about the whole but running he, over someone, too, wasn't he? He's done it before. Well, I mean, th like, <laughs> I was... And, and the thing is, that actually, like, I can see, because when, when you're in a situation where you're like, oh my god, somebody is injured, okay, I'm... You just become very calm about it, and you're just like, all right, I'm gonna take control of the situation, we're gonna look at this and this, and then we're gonna... So, like, that uh, didn't bother me, but it's when he went and looked at the kid, and he obviously figured out something really important about, like, oh, you know... I, I think I didn't n figure out what it was until I actually went and fucking read the Wikipedia summary of the plot, where it was like, oh... Like, Bert figures out that because the kid's neck had already been slit, like, he was basically already dead, so it wasn't really Bert's fault. Though, I mean, I don't think hitting him with the car helped. No. But he, he doesn't even say that to, to Linda, Linda Hamilton. He's just like, just, just go back to the car. Just go back to the car. It's fine. Go back to the car. And then he, like, wanders off into the fucking cornfield, and she's like, what is going on? And he's like, it's fine. Just go back to the car. I've got it under control. And I was just like, this is this is one of the worst examples of withholding information to try to create dramatic tension when it's completely unnecessary and dumb. And I hate this character so much. 
And and if I can, might open a, just a small parenthesis, the uh, that scene you just described is also such a wonderful, wonderfully dense example of multiple failures. In that we have the continuity errors of the corpse flipping back and forth from being on its back and being on its stomach, the the blood that is on the suitcase and then is not on the suitcase. And oh yeah, that was great. I noticed that one. And and uh, Linda Hamilton having the nightmare about Malachi attacking her when she hasn't actually seen Malachi yet. So how we were supposed to believe that that stalking scene was a dream? Uh, <laughs> well, I, I mean, David, you may not realize, but anyone who's ever been socialized female is has an innate <laughs> fear of evil Ron Weasley. Okay, well then I I'm gonna I I, I stand corrected. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Well, yeah, I... Okay. Well, now that we pooped all over Sean's like... <laughs> oh, it's fine. I, I would suggest, Sean, if you would like... If you want an alternate, like, the soundtrack was not bad. Yeah, the soundtrack was creepy. Yeah, it was yeah. the creepiest part of the whole movie. Yeah. And there were there were some nice doors in this movie. Yeah. You know? Pretty well represented. I mean, they, they, they did some amazing arts and crafts with corn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good corn stuff. They did decent stuff. I like how the response to when they find the like corn cross in in the kid's suitcase that Linda Hamilton's response is like, oh, it's so creepy. And I'm looking and it's going like, it's literally like a fucking kid just took a bunch of corn, which is literally the only thing they have around and made a cross out of it. It's not that fucking creepy. It's just, it's just arts and crafts with corn. Like you fucking put like that macaroni on goddamn paper with glue. Like, how is that any different than this shit? Yeah, it was not particularly creepy. Like, even the little corn bowl that they used to collect the blood wasn't particularly creepy until they put blood in it. And then you were like, okay, you know, fine. But it's the blood that made it creepy, not the fact that it was made out of corn. Yeah, that I, I like to say that that blood was nipple blood, even though it didn't actually come from his, the guy's nipples. But oh, it was proximal. Yeah. It's close enough. It basically, that that scene was kind of weird. Because that, like, I get what it was there for is it's some sort of like ritualistic, like precursor to his sacrifice. Because when they all turn nineteen, they all have to be sacrificed to the corn demon. Uh, but at the same time, it's like weirdly, like they're they're consuming the blood from his breast essentially because they're cutting up his chest area, and that's where the blood comes mm-hmm. from. And so it's like weirdly like matriarchal in in a way, but confusing. I mean, to continue the Burt hate fest that we just had, I would like to note how much I hated him when he entered into that scene as well, because, I mean, it felt, it felt kind of like the occasional episode of Star Trek when something is going on that is just contrary to Federation values and, and Captain Kirk kind of dives in and is like, no, you can't do that. And he like kicks something over, except Burt was just, yeah, I don't know. It, It was... It was so weird that he just sort of, like, dives in and, like, starts lecturing the kids about their, you're doing religion wrong. Well, and I was getting a real Star Trek vibe to that, too, thinking of the episode that has the evil kids. Yeah, yeah, right? And 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 they start getting abashed when Kirk scolds them, and that starts happening here, too, especially at the uh, climax. Uh, after he's uh, backhanded Malachi a few times, then he starts scolding the kids, and they all kind of look like, oh, gee, Dad's mad at us now. Yeah, that didn't make any sense. It's like, it, it was like as if he had come to a cult of evil dogs and, and burst into their <laughs> gathering and gone, you're all bad dogs! Bad dogs! And then they went, very bad dogs. We are bad dogs. That's true. We are bad dogs. And then they all changed right. their tunes magically after being yelled at by an adult. 
Yeah, forgetting the fact that apparently they didn't give enough of a shit about adult authority that they murdered all the fucking adults in the town. <laughs> it made no fucking sense. At no, the end of it, all. I was just like, why the... F-? There are a number of moments when I was like, why the fuck is anybody listening to whoever happens to be talking right now? Because like the film provides no basis for any of that. And especially at the end when Bert is like, ah, you kids, and they're like... Oh, you're right. Like we really were doing bad things by killing all the adults. I'm like, no, it's too, they're too gone now. They have murdered a whole town of of people. They don't get to like suddenly be like innocent children anymore. No, they're all demon children. He should have gone in there with a bat with like barbed wire wrapped around it and taken care of the situation. God damn it. I mean, didn't you know that's how you deprogram people <laughs> who are in a cult by just going in and being like, you're wrong! And that was bad! And they're like, oh shit. Yeah. And in fairness, it's clear from their ages that they really only killed all the adults an hour and a half before he showed up, so... <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Can we can we give some credit to the 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 girl uh, the the young girl who's like one of the appears to be like a cult leader of some kind uh, who just has like the the most perfect asshole face <laughs> like that she makes all the whole film where she just has that slight like crooked smile where it's always just like like where she's kind of knows everything and she's kind of like. I'm listening to you, but I'm disrespecting you at the same time. She had that face down. And we kept thinking, uh, especially B was like, she should have been one of the main cult leaders, if not the main cult leader, because she's amazing. Well, and, and I read at least the synopsis of the original story, and she would have been like hella fucking, she was like hella fucking interesting in the original story, because basically the whole thing is supposed to be that she's pregnant. And so she's like, Going through this ceremony, kind of, like, trying to figure out, like, oh, shit, you know, what can I do to, like, make sure my babies aren't going to get killed? And, you know, what's going to happen to them once I turn 19 and I get, like, murdered? I mean, like, she's actually really interesting. And she apparently just existed to sort of have, like, resting bitch face and then rise up out of the back of fucking Bert's car so he could whack her with a door and knock her out. And they could just skip away going, ha we left the bitch in the car. Yeah, they just leave her there. <laughs> like, what, what are you doing? She just was. She just snuck in the back of your car and tried to murder you all. She's gonna come back. Kill her. You got enough corn that you could you could wrap her in it and then light her on fire and then walk away. I'm just saying. No one would think ill of them. Sean's got the scorched earth approach here. I mean. Oh yeah, yeah. With creepy cult children. No, you kill all of them. You just burn the field and salt the ashes. Yeah, if they don't want to go, you just pick them up and you chuck them up by their britches. Yeah, you just you just get them in that fire and you take care of it. Oh, and I also want to know that, like, the one prediction I made about this film as I was watching it that it was wrong about, and it makes me really sad, is when Bert chucks um, the kid's corpse into the trunk of the car. I was like, oh, my money's on the fact that the kid is totally not dead because Bert is the worst doctor ever. <laughs> and I was disappointed that didn't come true. Yeah, that body's just still in the trunk of the car when they leave, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It yeah, it is. <laughs> There's like a, a body that's going to be rotting in that car. And some poor bastard is going to show up like the next week and is going to find that like this town with all these cars covered in corn. And that like what's going to happen is that the trunk's going to pop open. And there's going to be like a creepy half decomposed child body in it. And that poor person's going to have to figure out what the fuck went on. And then since we know John Franklin's character of Isaac comes back, well, then that's just when that moment happens. That's Children of the Corn too. 
Well, plus we have all those children that apparently have been instantly deprogrammed from the cult, but then have been left to their own devices again. Which, they definitely won't form another cult, because that never happens. No, no, not at all. Never. No, no. No, no putting pig's heads on. And they have no functioning cars. No, but they, yeah, they do They, they do have some, some uh, use for uh, fuel, though. Yeah, for lighting things on fire. The gasohol, which I was like, oh my god, I had like a Fury Road moment here. Yeah. And there's going to be, like, the one kid who's going to be like, don't get addicted to water. <laughs> it's going to be sitting on top of the uh, on top of a house because they've got no mountains. And they're just going to be pouring water on people. And they're going to be going, ah! Yeah. They'll call him Immortan Bob. I mean, eh, better than what we saw. <laughs> yeah. Now, I think since we already had, like, the Burt hate hour, now we're actually going to have dislikes. Yes. Yeah, which is, uh, this is the time. Yeah, we gotta get to our dislikes, because we have just had, like, a fucking ramble <laughs> of epic proportions. So, alright, well, Alex, what is your one and only dislike, please? <sighs> so, I mean, it's a tough call, but I would say that I definitely, definitely, definitely hate Job's narration. I hated it so much. Oh, yes. It added absolutely nothing to the movie, and effectively, you know, this is not, it was not really a scary movie to begin with for all that it had a really great creepy soundtrack, but, like, the fact that it starts out right before all the adults get murdered with some precious little kid fucking narrating about how, oh, Isaac was creepy, everyone was looking weird. I was just like, you know, this this is going to take, like, suck every bit of horror that could have possibly existed in this film out of it. And it just, it, it, it set a tone for which, from which the movie never recovered. And it's also like his narration doesn't actually tell us anything that they couldn't have just shown us to really good effect mm-hmm. if they hadn't been fucking lazy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like you said, yeah, uh, everybody was looking weird. Cut to Malachi looking weird. Right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh shit. I mean, it was just, there was, and, and like, it would have been, say, it would have been, like, so easy for, say, when when he's saying, oh, well, you know, all the kids were hanging out with Isaac, but I wasn't allowed to. Like, fine, just start it, like, you know, one scene back where all the kids are like, hey, Job, let's go hang out in the corn. And they look really fucking creepy. And Job's like, hey, Dad, can I go? And Dad's like, no, they're fucking creepy. And then that covers, like, half the narration right there. Well, and a couple of lines of dialogue would have taken care of it. Uh, uh... The, and the, the, I think what he narrates just a little bit more when they, when we get moved to the present day. And then that's it for the rest of the film. The narration never comes back again. So, so why introduce it in the first place? Yeah. It, it made no sense. Give his father a couple of lines of dialogue, like you were suggesting, rather than the deeply uncon, like when, when, when his father's having that conversation, uh, with the mother about how sick the child is. And it's like, uh, we're, we're looking at two completely separate conversations because none of his responses on the phone make any sense to what she's saying with what she's saying uh on the other end and meanwhile we've got job having stepped out of 1955 uh, uh getting his milkshake and 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 then with the narration fruitlessly trying to tie all this together yeah and, and i mean honestly i i still even question like how much of the the introductory piece was even necessary like if they could have yeah. you know sh- shown some of that like in flashbacks or whatever because all you get out of it is the kids rising up and murdering all the adults, which is just like, eh. And then 
like this the little girl like laying in bed with her eyes closed and like scribbling on a piece of paper which i guess is supposed to be like ooh something's going on but i was like this just looks dumb serving very little purpose uh, to her whole psychic uh, power thing it, just, it you know other than a couple of minor points it did absolutely nothing yeah yeah she keeps we keep being told that she has the sight or whatever but it it doesn't ever manifest as anything that is relevant to the plot of the story like, the only thing it does that's relevant to the plot is Isaac's like, oh, she has the sight, so I guess we won't murder them for being, yeah. like, apostates <laughs> or something. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, because they went and played Monopoly. Because as we all know, Monopoly is is blasphemy to the corn god. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can't have that Monopoly. Corn god mad. So, I mean, I guess you could extrapolate my hatred of the the narration out to just the movie was structurally put together very badly in that they felt the need for this narration that was completely worthless at all. I mean, and then there's no mystery when, they, when they're going around the weird spooky towns. Like, we already know. Yeah. So we're just waiting for them to catch up with us. <laughs> yeah. And, and I felt like it actually would have been better if they'd been like, went to the town and they were like, what the fuck's going on? And they were exploring around and then we could have gotten some of that like, good kind of haunted house movie thing where you're, you're discovering with them what kind of creepy shit there is. Like in the story? Yeah, like in the story. <laughs> well, all right. Well, then I guess it takes us to, to David. David, is it your dislike? Okay, so I need to preamble this a little bit. So back in the early 80s, my family and I were, were on a road trip through the States, through a lot of the similar kind of landscape to what we see in the film. And I am reading my family the stories from Night Shift in the car. And in fact... My paperback edition of Night Shift is the same one that you see on the dashboard of Vicky and Bert's car as they're 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 driving away from the motel. And we loved the story, Children of the Corn. And since you're going past all this corn, every time we went past a cornfield, my dad would say, like, Children of the Corn, right? And one of my favorite moments is what happens to Bert. And you're and as I get to this, you're probably gonna guess what my dislike is. Because at the climax of the story, he encounters he who walks behind the rose. And this is how King describes it. It began to come into the clearing. Bert saw something huge bulking up to the sky. Something green with terrible red eyes the size of footballs. Something that smelled like dried corn husks years in some dark barn. He began to scream, but he did not scream long. Sometime later, a bloated orange harvest moon came up. So first, we are, of course, left with the fact that the Bert of the movie survives. But setting aside that, that who he who walks behind the rose for me and my family was this unbelievably cool, scary monster. And what do we get in this movie? Cord moaning. We get Bugs Bunny burrowing under the uh, under the uh, the ground. Right. This this this, this mole movement. <laughs> and then when we yeah when we get the explosion. I, I'm astonished how this is a movie made the best part of a decade after the uh, the car and tries to reproduce the demon in the fire explosion effect and uh, uh, manages, well, certainly not only does not do it anywhere near as well as it happens in the car, but does it so badly, it's like at this point we are, we do move into full cartoon land. Uh, so the, the visualization of the, the climactic monster of this, the sort of Lovecraftian, uh, mythos creature that we got in the short story is the lamest, uh, one of the lamest monsters of, uh, 80s films, at least that got theatrical release. So yeah, 
that bloody mole. Everything about the like special effects in this film were really quite terrible. The the moment I um Isaac gets like eaten by the monster with all of that like really oh, terrible yeah. like animated <laughs> whatever like glitter like red glitter yeah. goo and we're just like this is awful. And the crucifix turns into a rocket. It's so so ridiculous. Like come on, like have yeah. something else. Like for God's sake, y'all made the blob. You could just do that. Like do some like nifty trickery, something. Like the only thing here that was an actual like I I would argue at least a quality special effect in the sense that you it doesn't look like something that isn't believable as a real thing is the little bits in the the the, the dirt that move because they basically took like a they like took like a wheelbarrow and like turned it upside down and put the wheels on and they dug like a trench and then they put like a tarp over it and covered it in like sand and vermiculite and then they would just like drag it by like a truck or whatever. By the way, the ditch was dug by Boy Scouts because of course free labor. Um, and then they would drag <laughs> it. Yeah, I'm not kidding. It was mm-hmm. dug by Boy Scouts. So I guess they like were interested in how films were made and so they were like, oh, you want to want to help us dig a ditch? And so they did. Um, that effect at least looks like a real effect because it is real right there is a thing moving yeah Yeah. i i actually really liked that effect because it did look it looked cool even if it was basically bugs buddy but at that point i was kind of like reaching for anything yeah it was good yeah it was i guess if yeah if if uh i mean it would the the effect itself is is cool just uh yeah but but given what it was supposed to be doing hopelessly inadequate oh absolutely yeah but yeah, but that you know that's ingeniously done, and at least it's a physical thing. But I, and I think to your the, the to your point, Sean, too, the uh, granting that this is a a low budget film, so the special effects budget is just not going to be there for something well like say the remake of the Blob. But obviously that that, that isn't good enough because then if you if you can't do the uh, good effects and you do something else or you don't do them at all in order to uh, create something halfway scary, and instead, yeah, I mean the when Isaac gets it with the animated whatever and, you know, turning the, the, the crucifix into some kind of bottle rocket thing, it, it just, it, it was inanity piled uh, upon inanity. Uh, and, uh, you know, certainly t- torpedoing any possibility of a climactically scary monster, uh, you know, in, you know, since you have, we had finally made it this far in the film and getting a climax, at least give us something. And it gave us virtually nothing or less than. It really isn't, and at the the ending is really quite awful. Uh, I mean, there's a lot about this film that, you know, a lot of it is rather dull and pretty boring, uh, but once we finally get to the climax, when we're supposed to get this sort of big reveal of the sort of supernatural nature of what's happening, it is enormously... Underwhelming is doesn't even quite do, do it justice of just how bad it is. It's just, it's just awful. It's plain pointless. Yeah. And it's frustrating. It would have been better if they had just jettisoned that entirely and had just gone for a more human ending, because at least that would be more tangible and might have worked more effectively by having, you know, the children effectively in some kind of like cult like fervor and needing to be dealt with in some sort of capacity like that, where the supernatural is maybe much more subdued. But they wanted to have, like, a big supernatural what's-it at the end, and it it doesn't... The closest we get is that burrowy thing. That's it. 
Otherwise, everything else is just so obviously terrible. It's It wasn't worth the effort. They just shouldn't have done it. Yeah, it was not good. And it's not a big burrowing thing. It's not a big burrowing thing, right? Uh, I'm reminded of uh, Roger Corman talking about the uh, uh, when they're sh- shooting at Conquered the World and uh, the scene where they, they've been doing a bit where the Venusian uh, uh, is... Uh, the, the the evil Venusian confronts uh, Beverly Garland and she uh, is being very defiant as Beverly Garland would be and uh, gives it a, a kick and and uh, Roger Corman said he learned a valuable lesson that day quoth he always make the monster taller than the leading lady <laughs> and the our our burrowing thing there uh, that that mound was only about four feet high at most yeah. And you could do, you could do, I mean, you could still do the supernatural, right? The, uh, well, I mean, uh, obviously, uh, we see, uh, uh, King and Joe Hill returning to the, the well, as it were, within the, in the tall grass, but, uh, go back further to Onibaba and the, the suffocating nature of those reeds where you can't ever see your way clear. And you could do stuff with corn. You could suggest something big coming, right? Without actually showing it. Uh, you could do a lot with, uh, shadows. Oh my God, what, uh, uh, Val Luton, uh, and, uh, his team did. And I walked with a zombie for the, uh, the, the, the sense of, 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 of presence be, uh, behind, uh, uh, the vegetation. And this is, this is in the forties. So yeah, there's lots you could do. Uh, but instead there's a lot that they did do and it was all wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's to say the least. Well, I guess that brings us to my dislike, which is weirdly related to everything that has been said so far, which is, that uh, structurally, this film seems designed not to have any actual tension or fear or anything whatsoever. Um, as I as I was watching this, I kept thinking this film would be so much better if we didn't have the opening sequence, especially without uh, what Alex was talking about this this terrible narration about the child. Uh, if the focus of this film had been on this semi-bickering, I guess technically not married couple, whatever, uh, who stumble upon a very unusual set of circumstances that lead them to a pretty horrific scenario. Because the second we know what the children were doing at the beginning of this film is the second when we really don't feel any of the tensions from the main characters. We don't really get a sense of why any of this is particularly scary because we've already seen the children be scary it would be much more terrifying if you removed all of the sequences in which were were shown at least in the beginning half of the film the children murdering and doing creepy things and instead have this couple show up and find an abandoned town and and in a cornfield where they keep getting diverted to these increasingly more dirt road like things so they get to the town find it deserted find kids trying to steal their car who then run away find weird kids in a house playing monopoly with by themselves and have all these little creepy things that people say these children say and not have explanations until slowly it is revealed to those characters to me that would have had more tension it might have been more scary to realize with these adults as adults my an adult myself uh that what they've stumbled into is like a really horrific situation, which the children have turned against the adults. But what we get is a lot of sequences that are either explained to us because there's a narration of a child or there are sequences which are meant to be scary, but really aren't because we know exactly what's going on 
and we're not invested enough in the fear of the main characters to really give a shit about why they're bothered by what they're seeing, especially since they don't seem particularly bothered, at least until one of them is abducted and then they seem rather bothered. Hell, even Bert gets stabbed and he doesn't seem that bothered by getting stabbed, which I don't know about you, <laughs> but if I were stabbed, I think I'd be a bit more bothered by it. I mean, as someone who has never been stabbed, but I imagine getting stabbed is not particularly fun. Uh, and probably hurts. Tell you the doctor a bandage and he's fine. <laughs> yeah, right. One bandage, and that totally deals with the fact that like a five-inch blade went straight into his chest. No big deal. You know, he didn't need to worry about puncturing a lung or some crap. Whatever. Yeah. So I just found this film honestly frustrating because it wants us to be scared and creeped out and weirded out. But but aside from a few things that are just creepy because they are creepy, like Isaac, who is pretty creepy, there's a lot in this film that's just not either doesn't really provide us the, the, the sort of material we need to feel the tension of what's happening or don't provide explanations for why we're supposed to be really bothered. Like, I still don't understand why anyone was following Isaac in the first place. He's just, like, saying, like, weird biblical shit, and all the kids seem to have just, like, forgotten how to speak normal English for some reason, and everyone's just following him until Malachi's giant mouth just f fucks that journey up. Like, it none of this is—it just doesn't make any sense. It's just—it's awful. I hate this movie. There's just, like, no reason for anything that, that happens, and that was really—I mean, I don't know. I felt like— because John Franklin was really having a good time being Isaac, I was like, okay, he seems super charismatic, and I could see him talking kids into doing stuff, but it's still, like, bless his heart, he was trying as hard as he could, and even that wasn't enough to justify all of the, like, kid cult shit. Yeah. It would make more sense if we're not shown those sequences of him talking about the other kids or having conversations with Malachi, and we keep getting these references to Isaac as though he's this big charismatic leader who's like led everybody. And then when we're revealed, the adults obviously scoff at the idea that this like 12 year old kid is leading them. But that part of the, the terror, right, is like the adults can't figure out why they're following him. And yet they like latch on to every word he says because he gives this great performance. But we don't. It's never given that. We're just, like, showing him saying stuff and people just listen to him. And it doesn't really build into anything. It just sort of, he gets strung up and crucified. And then he comes back and goes, he wants you. Blah, blah, blah. And then Malachi gets killed. Isaac magically gets super strength and, like, snaps his neck. I don't really know. Whatever. Well, and what you were saying about structure, I think there's a really good example of that, too, with the whole scene and uh, with R.G. Armstrong. Right, who uh the the old the old man at the gas station. Now you could remove that everything about that and have zero effect on the plot. Yeah. Right? It it uh and the you know, you've got a dog death in there that is so crummily handled that I can see does the dog die dot com not even bothering with this film because it's uh uh who's gonna be bothered by this? I mean uh Armstrong obviously, you know, showed up I guess for a day's shooting and uh Sarge the dog apparently had a better agent and only had to show up for half an hour. Right? Uh, but, <laughs> three days. Three days, by the way. He was there for three days. Three days. Okay. There was, I guess, what you were saying about there's no suspense there, right? There's, we, we aren't, the fact that we're basically are introduced to, to a character, and by the end of the scene, he's dead, pretty much. We, we cut away a couple of times, but he hasn't been there long enough to matter, or for us to have any sense of why he's really there at all. 
So it's like, okay, you're now gone from the film. Or why he's important. Yeah, something to do with they need his fuel, but uh, because Isaac is ticked off that Malachi killed him. Um, but yeah, it's just uh, it's it's just a a scene that really serves no purpose. And certainly, other than to give us a victim, I guess it's like, okay, we need a scary bit with someone being killed. Uh, but it's done in such a way that we're simply not going to care. Yeah, I, I didn't particularly care about anything because a lot of it is just isn't explained. The closest I get was caring about Linda Hamilton's character, Vicky. Um, mostly because she's adorable in this. I mean, she does a dance number in the beginning, singing a terrible song, and I find that adorable. But outside of that, there's just I just don't really care about what's happening because we don't have any reason to care about it. And the attempts to give it are like what Alex was talking about with the, the narration or other elements of the plot that have come up already. But those don't, they don't, they're not sufficient enough. They don't provide enough material or meat for us to sort of attach ourselves to, to really care about what happens. And I think that's, that's a, a serious problem that this film just doesn't deal with. So, yeah, basically I just didn't like it. <laughs> Speaking of that musical number, I was terrified they were going to uh, uh, make her sing the whole thing. Because that went on. That went on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, this was another one where it just, it felt like they were desperately trying to make it be 90 minutes long. And the only way they could do that was by stretching out every scene way longer than it needed to be. Like, especially, oh my god, just... Just the scene, and just even the beginning scene in the hotel room, I was kind of like, okay, all right, I get it. Are we done? Are we done? Can we move on? Can we ba go back to the creepy murder town, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it'd be fair to say a lot of this film is dragged out. Yeah. Uh, they make sequences go far longer. I mean, especially sequences like when they when uh, Vicky and Bert find the kids in that house. Everything the kids are basically telling to them are things that we already know. And so they're just having this long, slow conversation about things that seem strange and mysterious to the main characters, but to the audience are not. And so it just feels like really boring, extremely boring exposition uh, mm -hmm. that doesn't serve any real purpose because it doesn't help us like it doesn't help the main characters maybe like those kids any more than they might normally be more protective of children, right? If they made something about them, maybe more like a deeper connection with the main characters, that might make sense, but it's not. It's just there to make it enticing for the main characters, but it isn't for us. We've already, we already know what they're talking about. Well, and compare the uh, uh, Bert's exploration of the town, right? Finding weird clues about this and that, and how boring that is because we already know the answer to something like in the Mouth of Madness. Where when Sam Neill is exploring the town, we don't know any more than he does what the hell is going on. And so the weird details are all adding up to something and, and it is suspenseful. It is fright. I mean, there's, there's also kinds of other reasons why The Mouth of Madness is a much better film than this. But there's that aspect there too, where a, if a character is slowly trying to piece together something that we already know, then we're just not going to care. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, okay, I think we've hit the point at which we can give our final thoughts and grade this sucker. Because we have talked for an hour, over an hour, about this film. All right. Yeah, 
I mean, if we keep going for another 20 minutes, we'll be longer than this. <laughs> no, we no. Let's definitely not. can't do that. No. So, Alex, give us your final thoughts on grade. So, I would say that, for, sh- for sure, the greatest sin of The Children of the Corn, the 1984 film, is that it's just really fucking boring. And you can tell it's a very 1980s horror film, because in a way, the 80s-ishness of it gets in the way of any horror that it could really have because you know you've got like the cute kid narrator and then at the end there's like this super adorable ending of oh hey you know it's supposed to be adorable i found it vomitous but like you know oh we're all gonna go become a family and come to go to seattle together so it just it wasn't scary it was super boring And on a personal note, I'm extra disappointed that it was the 1984 instead of the more recent shitty TV adaptation because that one was filmed in Lost Nation, Iowa, which is where my best friend's dad is from. So I could have watched it with my best friend and she could have been like, oh, I've been to that place. That's like down the street from the one restaurant in town or whatever. And that would have made it more interesting. But instead, I had to watch this. And the only good part was John Franklin and the, the music. So it was just... It was so disappointing, like many Stephen King movies. It didn't <laughs> even have, like, the fun mayhem factor of um, Maximum Overdrive, where at least you were like, you know, okay, I'm going to watch a lawnmower run over somebody. <laughs> or a giant a giant uh, Green Goblin semi-truck chase somebody down. Right? I mean, all I can guess is that the director of this movie needed to be on way more cocaine and then it would have been more interesting (laughs) accurate so i mean it's definitely not among the worst torture cinema i've seen it was mostly just its greatest sin was being real boring so and you know it gets like a d whatever (laughs) a lackluster d An extremely unenthusiastic D. Exactly. (laughs) D for douche, which is what Bert is. (laughs) Awesome. All right. What about you, David? Yeah, I can't really disagree with any of that. And I I still have the the personal animosity for... uh, I haven't seen it since about 1985 when we uh, uh, my family rented a VCR so we could watch this film of the story that we had enjoyed so much. And then we saw this. And we were so disappointed. So there's this, so, uh, there's a sense of betrayal, uh, personally that uh, still animates me. And yet it's so resoundingly mediocre, right? Uh, you know, refusing to give me such joys as, uh, sets falling over, boom mics falling in, uh, or a, a, a walking rubber tree. So I'm going to have to give it a D also. Uh, it's, there's just, there's, there's a kind of inherent, apathy coming with mediocre yet still professionally put together that i uh, i i feel the 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 passion nonetheless to that to give it even a d minus just isn't there it's like ah crap whatever fuck it d yeah that seems that seems totally valid david uh so for me uh i will say that this film is extremely boring uh it is not actively as offensive as some of the films we have watched or as cringe-inducing as some of the films we have watched, certainly considering some of the other options that were on the poll, could have been worse. But apparently it could have been way better, because we could have had fucking Death Ship. Which, at least we could give it a point for having a really fucking cool title. But, alas. So, yeah, so I would give it a D, because I just... It, it isn't the oh, uh, an absolute 
train wreck of a film. It's not like there's any part of this film except for maybe some of the VFX that are especially egregious. It doesn't have any especially egregious acting. It doesn't have any especially egregious, like, offensive things. It's just sort of run-of-the-mill bad. And for that reason, I couldn't give it anything less than a D, uh, because D for me is below C-, minus, which means it's not even technically a passing grade by the modern American education system. So there you go. Gets a D, which means three Ds. Uh, which averages out to a D. We don't even have to do math there. We don't need Paul to do the math for us, so there we go. But since Paul's not here, we should say what Paul would think of this movie. Because, as we know, Paul is uh, one of the most important members of our Torture Cinema staff and always has some of the most delightful opinions. I think Paul would really love this film. I will not let you defame Paul. In this way. <laughs> I got your back, boo. I got you, Paul. I'm going to defend you. No, Paul would have thought this was boring as shit, too. And I bet he would have hated Bert because that man knows how to be right. <laughs> okay. Okay. I bet okay. Paul would have given it a D as well. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Paul probably would have given this a D, the grade that, yeah, I think that is a fair a fair statement. D for don't defame Paul, Sean. I I, I kind of, but <laughs> I don't. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so Paul would have given it a D. That's what Paul would do. Uh, so WWPD, as they always say, put it on t-shirts as soon as possible. So there we yes. go. We did it. We That's love our- you, Paul. We hope you had lots of fun. In, yeah. in Nepal. <laughs> yeah, in Nepal. Hey. <laughs> oh, God. Sean. I was trying not to make that joke, but now I've had too much to drink, so that's what's going to happen. You're welcome. <laughs> well, all right, so that's it for our Halloween special. Thank you all to our Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash for voting for this film and on all of our polls and supporting us. You can go there, too, if you'd like to support us. Uh, Next and- year, vote for Death Ship, you assholes. <laughs> And obviously, you can support us in all kinds of other ways. We have a newsletter at skiffyandfanny.com slash newsletter. We also, uh, you can subscribe to the show at skiffyandfanny.com. We're also on iTunes and all those places. We have a YouTube at youtube.com slash skiffyandfanny. Uh, we're on Twitter at skiffyandfanny. You can email us skiffyandfanny at gmail.com. If you happen to have any particular views of this exact film, please do send us a message. And please leave reviews on all of the, you know, iTunes and other places and whatnots. Yeah, so on that note... Uh, I'm going to go eat an ear of corn. I'm going to rub it all over me first. As long as it doesn't eat you first. Just <laughs> rub butter all over your lips. It'll oh, be fine. I'm going to get buttery lips. It's going to be great. And I'm going to smell like corn all day tomorrow for my students. It's going to be great. <laughs> but why does this room smell like corn? It's like, the children of the corn. I'm just going to keep whispering creepy things at them. On that note, awkward ending and scene. Bye. You're welcome, citizen. You're welcome. If you would like to support this show, you can go to patreon.com slash or find us on Twitter at skiffyandfanty, our webpage skiffyandfanny.com, or you can even send us an email at skiffyandfanny at gmail.com. The intro music for this podcast was taken from Rock Thing by Creo. You can find out more about their music on freemusicarchive.org.